0: Welcome to Kootenai Community Church, and this is the uh, adult Sunday school, and uh, we follow with the rest of the worship service, and uh, we have been going through the book of Philippians. Now, as you know, those of you who have been here regularly, we're alternating. Cornell and I are alternating every few weeks, and this week I'm trying to finish up the portion which Paul was praying a specific prayer for the Philippians and then uh, next week Cornell will pick up in Corinthians. So it's been uh, enjoyable to be able to alternate with Cornell and I really appreciate his teaching in Corinthians. So we find as we talked that there's quite a bit of correlation between uh, Corinthians and Philippians not the conduct of the church itself, but the text and some of the references that Paul makes and some of the parallel truths that are taught. Here uh, in this text, Paul, of course, is imprisoned in Rome, and this is one of the prison epistles that Paul penned, and as we look at it, we understand that He's expressing joy, almost exuberant joy, for these Philippian believers. He has missed them. He's heard good reports about them, their growth, the continued proclamation of the gospel, which is ultimately Paul is seeing the evidence and the fruit of their salvation. And in this portion of his prayer for these saints, he lifts up and points to certain attributes that he wants them to grow in. And he's praying for God to work and continue this growth in them. So I'm going to pick up where I left off in verse 9 in chapter 1. I was just finishing up 9 and going into 10, but let's pick up in verse 9 and then we'll continue. But first, let's open in prayer. Heavenly Father, we just thank you, Lord, for the privilege of being able to gather together freely, to worship together, to praise you, to honor you with the preaching and teaching of your word. And we pray truly, Father, that you will be glorified as well as your son through the power of your Holy Spirit. And we just ask that you guide us now as we study your word and we just give you praise in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen. I'll pick up in verse 9, I'll just read uh, through verse 11, which I'm going to try to complete today, because that completes a segment, and then Paul transitions in verse 12. And this I pray, that your love may abound still more and more in knowledge and all discernment, that you may approve the things that are excellent, that you may be sincere and without offense, till the day of Christ being filled with the fruits of righteousness which are by Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God now last week we looked at certain qualities of maturity of the believers and since the apostle completely understood the process of sanctification in which actually in chapter 3 he himself refers to his uh, lack of completion in saying this, not that I have already attained or have already been perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ laid hold of me. And that's in uh, verse 12 of chapter 3. So Paul was not lacking in any understanding of the sanctification process. And he wasn't lacking in his understanding of the work God does in us. He was just wanting specifically to pray for certain virtues to be manifested in these believers. Now, as I will talk about later on in this portion of my study, the parallels between Rome and the United States are uh, quite amazing. But these believers in Philippi were standing against a world system that was perverted, much like it is today. They were setting themselves apart, and yet they remained in the world to be a living testimony for the Lord Jesus Christ. The form of love that Paul prays for them to exhibit and to grow in, of course, is not the emotional attraction or the physical attraction, the phileo love that was in a fond affection of, but God's love, agape love, the love that only God can give us and only God can work in and through us through his son and by the Holy Spirit. So it's not... Uh, Anything that man can produce on his own volition or his own effort. The Lord said this, by this all men will know you and know that you are my disciples. If you have love for one another, and that is again, it's the agape love, the love of God in us. Paul doesn't say to these Philippians, you should begin to exercise this love, but rather that this love may abound, he wants the word "abound" there has the concept or understanding of overflowing. He just doesn't want them to love, but to overflow with love. Now he prayed similar prayer for the Thessalonians, the church in Thessalonia, which, by the way, was one of the exemplary churches in the first century, and and Paul states how much they were showing love but then he prays also for them and exhorts them to grow even more in that love for one another. Oftentimes, we'll see Paul urging something that he's already seen in the saints, but he's wanting to see God increase that in them through their obedience and practice of God's Word. The other thing that Paul, aside from love, was that of knowledge. Now, the word knowledge there we looked at last week, and that is the spiritual insight. And it's not just an intellectual knowledge like gnosis, but it's uh, the knowledge and perception and understanding and applying that word in God's word in our lives, the obedience to God's word, that knowledge he wants more in fullness in these believers. So as we think of today, the blessing of being able to participate in Bible studies and attend Sunday school and hear the preaching of God's Word in our worship service, we know that that is part of the equipping process of the saints. But that isn't stand alone. If it's only that, and that's the only participation we have in God's Word, then it's gonna be a stunt of our growth. We must also personally participate, study, meditate, and spend time in God's Word, not only just to understand it and to know it, but also to practice it. As we, the more we learn of God's Word, the more the Holy Spirit works in us to bring conviction, to Stave us to direct us away from sinful practices and to work holiness in us. He wants us to be holy as His Heavenly Father is holy. So we understand that the working of God's Word in us produces and transforms our mind, our thinking, our behavior. The other uh, element of growth that Paul wanted these believers to grow in was that of discernment to uh have God's love but also with discernment. And discernment is uh comes from the English word aesthetic, uh, which is the opposite, is actually the opposite. It's not a matter of personal taste that Paul is talking about here, but he's calling to put aside personal tastes and personal preferences and to focus more on a mature insight to God's Word. It only appears here in the New Testament, and it refers to a high level of biblical, theological, moral, and spiritual perception. Think of it. Paul is praying specifically for these believers to grow in such a way in their knowledge and discernment that it's going to give them a spiritual and moral perception. They'll be able to discern right from wrong, to be able to understand and be warned against a behavior or a practice, or take uh, hearing something that is a false teaching. We should be able to discern false teaching because of our growing knowledge in God's word. We should pick it up just like that. It's like a red flag when we hear something that's being taught that's off or false, we should be able to grow in our discernment and in that understanding and knowledge of God's Word so that we're not sucked in to some false teaching and even false practices. Paul wanted them to not exercise worldly love, but of course agape love. And in 1 Corinthians 2.16, as Cornell has already been through, uh, Paul says that we have the mind of Christ. He told the Philippians that. What that means is we have the understanding of God's Word. And we are being matured and perfected. Perfected and matured, that means being matured. And the knowledge of God's Word. As we grow in His Word, that is having putting on the mind of Christ. Paul says in 1st Thessalonians, excuse me, Thessalonians, my speech, examine everything carefully, hold fast to that which is good, and abstain from every form of evil. That was the warning that Paul gave the Thessalonians. Now as we continue in verses 10 and 11, Paul says this, that you may approve the things that are excellent that you may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ. Uh, he continues with this element, some of the elements of spiritual growth, looking at what is excellent so that that progression goes from love, which incorporates knowledge, and then it is a thinking and living biblically. These Christians in Philippi were so set apart in that culture, in that place, which is a portion of the Roman Empire, which mimicked Rome in every way, they were set apart in such a way that they were now starting to think biblically. For us to have a biblical worldview is key, and that comes with the biblical discernment for us to understand things from a biblical perspective, we'll be able to discern much of what comes against us. We have we're getting uh, attacked in every level. We in the media, in the elements in society, the all the works of the world and Satan come against Christianity, and as we grow in the knowledge of God's word, we have a greater understanding of a biblical worldview. We shouldn't be depressed about the condition of this world because we understand depravity. More, it should be an impetus for us to proclaim the gospel. When we see people acting in a certain way that reveals that they're unregenerate, And we have opportunity, we can bring truth of the gospel to those individuals. So this is what Paul was wanting them to grow in. When we're dominated and controlled by God's love, there'll be a corresponding desire to do His will as much as possible with all that's in us. Scripture commands believers to be perfect as our Heavenly Father is perfect. Now, we know this will never be fully attained here in this life. It's only when we are glorified that we are completed, completely redeemed. We have the fullness of Christ in us. But here, Paul, uh, as we think about what the Lord commanded in Matthew 5.48, to be perfect as my Heavenly Father is perfect, we should be striving for obedience constantly. Short accounts with sin. And this was well, it's Paul's desire for the Philippian saints. God has a deep love for us and we have a love for Him. We love Him because He first loved us, John tells us in 1 John 4.19. So our obedience should also be motivated by our love for God. We should not want to do anything to sin against His Word, to disobey His Word. When we fail, we need to confess and repent and forsake those sins that beset us. And this is what Paul was wanting them to grow in. Now, when he uses the word approve, which is sometimes rendered allow or to examine, it's a discerning approval. Uh, approve means much more than a simple acknowledgement or an agreement with something is right or true. Paul wants us to investigate and determine the best way possible to obey and please the Lord and to live accordingly. Approve can also mean discern. One of the other elements in the original is it's a discerning approval to approve things that are excellent to assess, to determine, and identify whatever is best, the most important and the most crucial. So we're faced with choices daily. And those choices should be governed and guided by God's truth. Approving things that are excellent involves the mind, but it's built on true spiritual knowledge. It's produced by a growing knowledge of God's Word. When Paul wrote that we have the mind of Christ in 1 Corinthians 2, he was referring to God's divine revelation where the mind of Christ is revealed in believers, in that growing knowledge of Christ. Believers have the Word of God, the revealed Word of God in Scripture which is God's revelation, His special revelation to His people. It's crucial for us today in this world as Paul instructed the Galatians to walk by in the Spirit and not fulfill the lust of the flesh. He instructed the Galatians in 5.16 to do so. As we go about our daily lives, it's essential for believers to walk in accordance with God's revealed word. Paul was instructing these Philippians in that way. Our spiritual growth is not based upon how long we've been a Christian. Uh, I know that most here would fully understand that. Our growth in Christ doesn't just happen because we've been a Christian for so many years. Our growth in Christ comes through the maturing work of God's Holy Spirit in us, using His Word and bringing us to maturity as we obey His Word. Knowing God's Word is not a completion of maturity or bringing us to maturity. Uh, I'm sure we've all come in contact with individuals that are able to quote verses and to articulate certain doctrines and, you know, have a great orthodox. And yet, in their lives, perhaps that isn't reflected in a godly way. Paul wants us to grow because of the practice of God's word. <clears throat> Some scholars uh, prefer to use so that you may disting- distinguish Things that differ when he uses that word approve. This is the ability to discern between good and bad for the purpose of choosing what is good and rejecting that which is bad. The Christian has the ability to choose good over evil and will be able to pursue what is pure and blameless as Paul defines that in A couple of chapters away in chapter four, he says this and finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue and if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. So. Paul will give that instruction later on in this epistle. He's urging these believers to to press on to more Christ likeness. Now, in verse 10, the second portion, Paul says this. Approving the things that are excellent, that you may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ. Now, this word sincere, we've probably heard it defined uh, many times, but uh, in the ancient times, uh, one of the forms of income was that of making pottery. Now, the less expensive pottery in that period of time was real heavy, and it was, of course, it wasn't a fine vessel. But the finer pottery was like a china. And it was, when it was fired, because of the, how fine it was made and how thin, it could sometimes fracture. And some of the uh, more unethical individuals that dealt in selling pottery would try to seal those cracks with a wax. And it was hard to determine that those Vessels were fractured or cracked or flawed. The only way that could determine that would be to hold it up to the sunlight. And because of this wax going into the crack or fracture in the vessel, it would show a dark line wherever that crack was. So those that had a more uh, ethical practice and had good or better, China that wasn't fractured, it would say, without wax. Now, I know of a pastor that often, in fact, always signs his letters without wax. I wish I would have got that a little bit ahead of him. I love that one. That's a great way to conclude our letters. That's with all sincerity. And that's what this word means. It's without flaw, without blemish. It's truth. So Paul used this word. Now, as we consider this, uh, except for unbelief, Jesus condemned no sin more than hypocrisy. That is, being outwardly righteous, but inwardly sinful. Paul also hated this insincerity or hypocrisy. And in Romans 12, he said, let love be without hypocrisy abhor what is evil and cling to what is good. That was in Romans 12, verse 9. So sincere also has the meaning of a cohesiveness, a oneness. And a unity. It has spiritual integrity that also uh, (coughs) involves relationships with others. Having a sincere friendship without blemish. Not feigning affection. That word is often used in that context as well. Now, Paul also in Corinthians admonished the believers with this. He said, give no offense either to the Jews or to the Greeks or to the church of God. The mature Christian determines not to sin with his own life, but he also determines not to stumble another brother. Now, we talked a couple of weeks ago about the element of stumbling a brother and I brought us back to a reference in Romans 14. Well, a maturing Christian or a mature Christian will avoid stumbling a brother in every way. Now that stumbling is not just, you know, causing him to be offended, but it, it means to actually stumble into sin or to fall into sin. In other words, by a Christian having a disobedient practice or a besetting sin, he could also stumble another believer by having this unrepentant sin in his life. So Paul was warning him of that. And in the next part of this uh, verse, after saying that they may be sincere, he also says, and without offense... Now, uh, when he says this, he's talking about not offending another individual, whether it be a brother or whether it be an unregenerate individual. In other words, we should, as much as it is up to us, be at peace with all men. So Paul was telling them not to stumble somebody or offend somebody or have the idea of falling into sinful conduct that causes others to fall into sinful conduct. This is not a call to perfection in holiness. It's truly only God who brings us to this maturity. But it calls believers to do all they can to glorify God. We should, everything we do, whether we eat or drink or anything that we do, we should do all to the glory of God. Paul instructs the Colossians in that way. Now, as we continue this verse, when we get to uh, the latter part of this, Paul says, without offense till the day of Christ. Now, we looked at the day of Christ earlier on in this uh, salutation where Paul was rejoicing and confident of the work that God began and that he was going to complete until the day of Christ Jesus. Now that's when saints are glorified. We looked at that a few weeks ago in verse 11. Paul says this being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Now, when we consider this, having been filled uh, with the fruit of righteousness. Uh, I'm going to use the technical term. Having been filled translates a perfect passive participle in the Greek. Referring to something that happened in the past and has continuing results. So we've already been filled with the fruit of righteousness through Christ. The fruit of righteousness is is an Old Testament concept as well. The writer of Proverbs speaks of the tree of life in Proverbs 11.30. Spiritual fruit includes good works, which Paul has in mind in this text. But the fruit of the Spirit, of course, in Galatians 5.22 and 23, is love, joy, peace, patience, Kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. That is the fruit of the Spirit. It's the work of God's Spirit in us. And that's a singular, by the way. It's not fruits. It's fruit of the Spirit. These are the fruit produced by the right relationship with God when Paul talks about The fruits of righteousness. Being filled with the fruits of righteousness. That is, the works that God produces through us outwardly. And that's not talking about the fruit of the Spirit. Paul is talking about because of the work in us through Christ, it's going to manifest fruits of righteousness in our outward behavior. So by that, the world can see the distinction between believers and unbelievers that reflects the work of Christ in us. As every other uh, righteous thing the believer possesses, the fruit of righteousness comes through Christ. It can't be humanly generated. We can't, on our own volition, of our own strength, apart from Christ, do anything that would be considered a good or righteous work before God. Now there's a lot of people in the world who do great humanitarian works and yet their motivation could be totally sinful. It could be because they want to fill a void or be noticed or take pride in what they do. But a Christian, as God works through them, they don't want any merit or glory or praise for that. They want that to be directed to God. So anything that we do that is worthy of praise, anything that we do that reflects Christ's glory brings the focus on Jesus Christ. It brings all the glory to God. And that's what Paul was urging these Philippians, believers, to work in their lives or allow God to work in their lives. Because of God's workmanship in us, a lot of people uh, can quote Philippians uh, 2, 8, and 9, right? Can any of you, of course, that's the some of the founding theology and reformed theology, but for by the grace of God, you have been saved through faith and not of yourselves. It is the work gift of God, not of works, lest anyone boast. But the following verse is what Paul is stating here in verse 10. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So God created us. He has brought us to salvation, but he's also created us for good works. If God wanted to just save us and bring us home, He would have done so. But He has placed us in the world to be separate from the world, to reflect His glory, to bring glory to the darkness in this world, to bring light to those who do not know Christ, to bring the Gospel forth, to bring the understanding that Christ has taken this fallen sinner and he is transforming him into the image of Jesus Christ, a work that only God can do. D. Martin Lloyd-Jones says this, Why does Paul pray these things for them? His answer to that question is, if the Philippians have this knowledge and judgment and discernment, then they will be able to approve the things that are excellent. Here, excellent is an interesting word. Let me give you an alternative translation that you may approve the things that are different. Or perhaps, best of all, that you may have a sense of what is vital. That is what Paul is concerned that they should have. He wants their knowledge and their judgment to increase because that is the only way in which they'll be able to develop a sense of what is vital. One of the difficulties, he said, in life is to discern and to know what we ought to concentrate on. Christians have lots of options, good things that we can do. But to have the knowledge and understanding of concentrating on what God wants us to do, that is what Paul is urging these believers. And Jones concludes with this. Uh, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones. The whole art of life, I sometimes think, is the art of knowing what to leave out, what to ignore, what to put aside, how prone we are to dissipate our energies and waste our time by forgetting what is vital and giving ourselves to a second- and third-rate issue. Now, Paul says, here you are in the Christian life. You are concerned about difficulties, Oppositions and contradictions of life. What you need is this. The power to concentrate on that which is vital. Leave out everything else. And to keep steadily on to the things that matter. That they may know him and the power of his resurrection. And the fellowship of his sufferings. Being made conformable unto his death. And that's what Paul gives us in Philippians 3. Now, we've looked at these verses 1 through 11, and this whole section consists of three parts. The salutation, the thanksgiving, and the prayer. Paul calls himself and Timothy servants, bond servants, because they recognize God's sovereignty over them. They recognize that they are set apart for God and to His glory. They want to do nothing more than to serve Him. Now, thinking about Paul giving these insights in his imprisonment where he is suffering and yet full of joy. What an encouragement that is. But more so is the truth that he brings to us. It isn't just the max a uh, fact that mo- uh, Paul is modeling his joy in Christ because he's he's such a mature Christian. That's encouraging. But what Paul brings through the doctrines of what Christ has done should be our strength. Not that we don't have strength to carry on God's work when he grants us the grace to do so, but to understand what God has begun what he's going to continue, and what he's going to complete. What he has done to bring himself, his children, and to bring in our lives a place where we can manifest God's glory by obedience to God's word. So he prays that their love may increase and that they become fully mature. The way to live life as a mature believer is Our love increases along with our knowledge and discernment and our judgment. This comes through God's Word, the study, the meditation, the practice of God's Word. Now, Paul is preparing these Philippian people for the problems and trials that they face. When we know God's Word and we concentrate on it, then we'll know how to live in this world and yet be set apart from the world. Now, the author of Psalm 1, I want to just bring this as a close to understand the premise of all that Paul is doing and saying here. You don't have to turn there with me, but I just want to say this. The psalmist here wants them to understand one thing. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law, he meditates day and night, and he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in its season whose leaf shall not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. Now the psalmist there was fully recognizing that all that came out in the way of fruit that God works through is that of God's divine working in and through His children. That is the whole premise of what Paul is teaching here. It is God's Word that is the process in which we grow that we learn, understand, and we come to a fuller knowledge of God, a fuller discernment of right and wrong, and an abounding love for others. He prays that their love may increase, that they may become fully mature. The way to live life as a mature believer is to increase in all those virtues, the love, knowledge, in judgment or discernment through God's word. Paul is preparing these Philippians once again to face the trials and temptations. I want to make a quote from one other uh, kind of a story that was given by another theologian in, in the commentary on Philippians. He said that there was... Uh, oh, excuse me. Back at following World War One, Lawrence of Arabia was in Paris. And some of his Arabian friends came to visit him. They had never been in Paris. They had never been in a, a metropolitan city such as that. And they were staying at a hotel. And when they discovered in the hotel that there was a sink and a faucet, and he showed them how to turn on the faucet, and they were astounded. I mean, these Arabs had never seen a faucet or a place where you could just turn a handle and water would come out. So they had spent time in Paris, and as they were getting ready to leave, uh, he came back to find out what they were doing. And they said, we want to go to a store and buy faucets. And he said, why? He said, because we're going back to Arabia. It's a dry desert, and that way we can turn on the water and it'll just flow. Well, of course, uh, Lawrence of Arabia explained to them that uh, the water, the whole process of this lay behind the rain and the snowfall in the Alps coming through, and now from the water storage was able to flow through these flosses. Of course, the illustration here parallels that of trying to live the Christian life without the source of power. We can only do it in and through Christ. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we just thank You, Lord, for Your holy word. We thank You that You have granted us Your word and Your Holy Spirit that we may understand and practice Your word to Your glory. I just pray right now for each saint that is a part of this local fellowship, that we would grow in our love, that it would abound, that we'd grow in our knowledge and discernment, and that we might glorify God through the fruits that you produce in and through us. We pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the latest podcast from Kootenai Church.